Welcome to the UK Ravens podcast, the only official, unofficial Baltimore Ravens podcast from the United Kingdom. I'm wondering if anyone in the UK Ravens flock has got any fingernails left, because that was pretty tense for a while though. Welcome back to the UK Ravens podcast. My name is Gaz Paul and I'm once again joined by my friends who I met on the internet, Ben Mortimer, Shane Richmond and James Ogden. Unfortunately, Ian could not be with us this evening. Shane, you was on Twitter duty on Sunday afternoon as you very openly called out that your Pat Ricard take came home. How how was the mood through the first half going into the second half? I kind of, I, I tried to get the anger management under control early on and sort of moved to kind of gallows humour. But it was definitely, <laughs> at certain points, it was like, this is this is the Bengals game again, isn't it? Uh, and then fortunately, the slide was stopped and I managed to not go into just sort of despair tweeting there are some other accounts i'm not going to name them because it would be rude but there are some other accounts that <laughs> that do let the situation get to them and the tweets can become just a hilarious series of rants as whoever's tweeting gets more and more annoyed with the team so i tried to tried to keep calm yeah i sent onto twitter about just towards the end of the first quarter saw that the entire social media platform was on fire and thought i'll <laughs> i'll call back in later and then by the time i checked back in at the end of the game everyone seemed to have calmed down a little bit I think you posted the meme of the guy walking in with the apartment on fire, didn't you? And that was literally yeah. what it was, wasn't it? <laughs> there were some terrible takes getting thrown around. Okay, we're gonna. Well, we know we're gonna run long. We had a, an interview with Nat Coombs, which we actually did yesterday, Monday. We're now recording on our regular Tuesday evening slot, so we know that's quite a lengthy interview. So let's jump straight into the game review and try not spend too much time on it. It was a 34-31 to 31 overtime win against Minnesota M&T Bank Stadium. Truly a tale of two halves as Lamar Jackson came out flat in the opening half, spent a large chunk of the afternoon down double digits, but then Baltimore led a furious comeback, erasing a 24-10 to 10 deficit in the second half with three straight touchdown drives. We've just touched on it there, Shane. We came out looking slow and it was the Bengals game again, wasn't it? Yeah, and this is becoming a theme. And I, I think I think what's going on, I've been trying to work this out, but I think what's going on is something that uh, actually the commentary guys touched on in the broadcast, which is that um, Greg Roman said he's basically stopped scripting plays at the start of, of games now. Most, most teams script the first 15 plays or so so that the offense know what they can expect to be doing. He doesn't do it because he can never be sure what the defense is going to do facing the Ravens. And they've faced so many odd little tweaks and so many strange uh, approaches to defending Lamar and this offense that he just can't come up with 15 plays that he can be confident will work. So it seems like they spend the early part of the game trying to figure out which parts of the playbook are going to work and what kind of plays are going to work. It also seems a little bit like some of this is Lamar playing at a kind of frantic sort of level sometimes. It feels like he wants to, he's a very aggressive quarterback. He naturally wants to get the ball downfield as much as he can uh, against the Vikings, who I think were really the first team we've seen this season who opted to try and take away the pass rather than take away the run. He could have gone for those shorter passes early on, but it's it's. I think it's got to be top of Greg Roman's to-do list is figure out a way to get this offense rolling early that said uh if mark andrews caught a touchdown pass in the end zone the ravens score on their first drive and maybe it would have been different so it's it's always small margins in nfl games 
James, that's sort of the opposite of what the Vikings did, where it seems that their first 15, 20 scripted plays seem to work, and then they just completely fall off a cliff when they have to start picking the right plays. It's like they don't really know what they're doing. Yeah, I think the with the Vikings, uh, often specifically, I think they they got very... <laughs> There were a couple of miscues and a couple of missed assignments early on that allowed a, that allowed two or three big plays, and they they got lucky with those. I think. Otherwise, I think the Ravens' defense mostly had the Vikings' offense's number this week. It was just those big plays, which you can't give the Ravens' defense a pass for. Like that that has been the problem with this defense most of the season. So you can't just say, "Oh, well, they're fine then," because it was just a few plays. Like they did give up a few big plays, which needs you know needs to be eliminated. However, I think you know I think it was it was a couple of big early plays, and 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 then they got got their acting gear. The the other thing to remember is um, sometimes we're, we're kind of spoiled with John Harbaugh teams because they're so well prepared coming out of bye weeks, but often teams are a little bit not fresh coming out of bye weeks or not sort of not as sharp as they were. So it could have been a little bit of coming out. I mean, maybe I'm trying to make excuses here, but it could have been a little bit coming off the bye week and not being as sharp as, as they as they would want, would normally be. So we usually break the games down for the good and the bad, but it was very much a tale of two halves and definitely for Lamar Jackson, wasn't it, Ben? He started errant, but then came out in the second half and did the Lamar thing of strapping the team on his back and willing them to a victory. Yeah, it's another theme. Uh, of the season really it's, it's happened more often than not and that um lamar seems to um be a bit uh, jumpy at the start of games and, and really trying to do a lot he, i think he, he, he has he feels responsibility from the moment he gets on the field and it takes him a while to settle down and um it, it, he was uh, he, he he just didn't seem in rhythm at all to start with and he seemed to be uh, i think he was nervy about the protection and the line he was quick to try and make things happen with his feet um, and really wasn't looking to take what the defence gave him. And apparently he was advised just close to the half, take what the defence gives you. And he went, OK. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, he, and he started uh, performing like the Lamar that we all know and love. And it happened just before the half, actually, because we got the ball back and um, managed to get that touchdown just before the half, which um, felt like a momentum swinger at the time, the sort of Devonta Freeman. Um, touchdown, and then obviously the sort of sails were taken, or the wind was taken out. Sails from the second that the kickoff happens to start the second half, and they go and run it back. So that was, the, but then the reaction was great, you know, and, and um, he just seemed to click, and suddenly he sort of stood back there. He, the, the receivers were getting open, he was finding them, um, he was making the right decisions, he was running when you know it seemed appropriate, he was getting the yards on the ground. Um, some receivers that we'll talk about later were making some great plays as well. And um, before you know it, he ends up with a stat line of uh, two sixty-six yards, three touchdowns, two picks, obviously, um, and one hundred and twenty yards on the ground. So he actually had more rushing yards uh, than than their leading rusher at the end of the day. Uh, so uh, it's just kind of what you expect with Lamar, and I think it also sort of brings us back to the, our starting conversation about getting depressed in the first half and and having to remember that. When you've got Lamar Jackson, you're never necessarily out of a game, no matter how badly you're playing. And I, I was as guilty as everyone else on Twitter by, you know, basically saying, "Thank God I'm not at this game." Even though I was meant to be taking 20 people to this uh, S show, <laughs> and um, and then I had to kind of 
reel that in an hour and a half later saying well maybe i wish i was there actually yeah but i really should have added you in my tweet because i definitely read your tweet and thought god even ben's got off the off the rails i'm gonna have to get off twitter for a few hours well i was optimistic too because i had those cheesy bites and the beers left in the fridge so it wasn't all bad and uh <laughs> and, and and again but I, I have to take my hat off to to lamar i i you just can't doubt him um because he, he always he repeatedly um, just delivers the goods doesn't he I imagine that he'll have been taken a little bit by surprise as well with the way the Vikings played us because they, well, one of the things that Lamar can struggle with sometimes is, is disguise coverage is when teams don't, don't really show their hand about what they, how they're going to cover our, cover our receivers until the very last second. He has kind of struggled with that a little bit in the past and he'll have been uber prepared for that, but then literally hours before kickoff Harrison Smith was ruled out and Harrison Smith is the is the is the kind of linchpin of that secondary he's the guy that allows them to do all these different things so they they did play play it a little differently and so I can imagine that that possibly took him by surprise a little bit and like Shane said they they sold out to to stop the to stop the pass in in that sense so I, I think it it could have been a little bit to do with that as well the slow start so James, that first interception then, good defensive play, bad decision, a, a little bit of both. I can't even remember the interception. The safety sort of fell off the route. It was like a, a, a deep seam to Mark Andrews down the middle and the weak side safety must have fallen off his man and taken off the inside of Mark Andrews. The problem was they were playing what looked like cover two, but they were actually playing cover two on one side of the field and they were playing man on the other side of the field. So the safety who was in man was just watching Lamar. And as soon as he saw Lamar's eyes go to, I think it was Mark Andrews he was throwing to, as soon as he saw him go to the cover two side, he just broke on the ball. Um, I think that's one of those deceptive coverages you're talking about, James. It's very difficult to, to read that in real time. Yeah, I remember it now. You, thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, you, Shane, you broke it down. Like that. That's uh, that's that's what happened. Um, they 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 play a lot of split field coverages. Um, they brought in a guy um, from Alabama called Carl Scott, who was Alabama's cornerbacks coach for the last few years, and obviously has produced Trayvon Diggs and Pat Satan and all kinds of talent coming out of there. So, and, and Alabama is in, in college is probably one of the places where, because of Nick Saban, uh, who used to work with Bill Belichick, Nick Saban sort of incubates a lot of the modern day coverages at Alabama. Like they, they try stuff there that is then ends up in the NFL two or three years later. So they, 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 they brought a kind of, a, a, a well, I would imagine Carl Scott has brought. A, I did. I haven't watched the film, so I don't know. But I would imagine Carl Scott has brought a cover seven defense, which is um, which is a split split field coverage. And I think that's that's what happened. Lamar just didn't identify it and that didn't didn't realize that the guy had a had free reign to be able to do that and to come across and pick it off. And you know, <laughs> Lamar has over the years forced it to his favorite targets too often sometimes and. And he was he was force feeding Andrews, which wasn't uh, the the wrong thing to do, but yeah, got caught out there, and it certainly wasn't the same as the second interception, which was definitely not Lamar's fault. A few other issues we had a, a dump off to Freeman that he just completely oversailed, which was just a, a, a bad ball, and then Ben an, another fumble. Now he managed to catch it in midair, and actually I think he ran for a gain on that play, but. Is once again without much pressure, 
putting the ball in the air or on the floor is it is it a problem um well in the it's, it's happened again then i suppose there's a minor problem but i mean that one didn't he run into the the, it was it was the defender that sort of tagged him, or and so it, it, he kind of knocked his arm, and he, he temporarily lost the ball. But then Lamar, having the reactions of you know a, a ridiculously quick reacting thing, uh, was able to spy it in slow mo, like Sonic the Hedgehog in that movie, and uh, and 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 he and he grabs it back in. So uh, you know, as long as I think he's, he's he's definitely improved the the situation. I mean, his, his ball handling on some of the rushes in the last couple of seasons made you wince when you saw him kind of go for it, and he's just holding it out like that, and you're like, oh, come on, just tuck it a bit, Lamar, tuck it a bit. Um, he he has got better at ball security, um, but you know, with the, the the nature of the way that Lamar plays the game, you're always going to have a um, a higher chance of him fumbling it than Kirk Cousins, who's probably going to try and go six yards and, and keep it tucked into his belly and go down at the first sign of contact. But um, I don't think it's a it's a big issue. It's 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 part of the Lamar roller coaster. You you got to accept it. Okay, so let's start looking at the good then. Marquise Hollywood Brown. How good is this guy starting to look? Another standout performance. Went nine catches for 116 yards, including some fantastic plays. Where this whole going down before contact or or just running from the sideline just seems to have completely disappeared. He just seems so hungry that you've seen him catch the ball a lot of times run five to six yards in the wrong direction to then take a wide curve back into the middle of the field and then hits the jets and goes down the middle is running into people is looking fantastic. And alongside James Rashad Bateman, who had another good outing at one point, he was 10 for 10 on catches for first downs in his first 10 career catches. Yeah, j- just quickly on Brown, I completely agree. It's And it's the, it is that yards after catch that's really impressive. And he's he's basically learned how he best gets yards after the catch, which is is through that that, you know, turning on the afterburners. And he's learned he's learning how to how to add those yards. And it's just it's such a, it's so great to see. He's a number one, he's a number one receiver now. Um Bateman was great again. You know, I, like th- those, he's exactly what we need as a foil across from Brown as well. The the way he, the way he gets open, he's, he's using. So one of the things that I've just been on the um, Dolphins podcast, Dolphins UK podcast, and they asked me about him. And I said the same thing. One of the things that's really underrated uh, in terms of wide receiver play is how you process the game is how you look at read coverages and do different things based on what the defense is throwing at you. How do you get off press when they're, they're, they're covering you in a certain way in terms of either in press coverage or off man coverage? Like how are you breaking down the coverage and then adjusting what you do to get open? He's, he's doing that at a high level already in, in the league, which is, which is tough to do is translating straight in as a, usually some of those guys don't translate immediately because there is a bit of a step up, but he's, He's brought all of his under, all of his nuance, all of his understanding in terms of his separation quickness, and he's applying it in the NFL. And it's it's it really is a great, it really is a sight to see. And we saw more of it again <laughs> this weekend, where he was get he just knows how to get open, and he was getting open and being that safety valve and and moving the chains. And I can't I can't wait to see him continue to develop. Yeah, you're right. It's fantastic. We've got. Um... 
him playing well. We've got Duvernay making one-handed catches in the back of the end zone. We've got Mark Andrews catching pretty much everything that's going his way. Then we're going to have Sammy Watkins coming back and then throw Odell Beckham Jr. into the mix. And this offense is going to be, <laughs> so, going to be something special, isn't it? No? No takers on that? No, okay. I don't think so. There was a tweet no. during the rounds at the weekend that said um, he'd cleared waivers. Well, actually, it can't have been at the weekend. It must have been when he, whenever he cleared waivers, saying it's just cl- waiting for a team to pick up his $7.32 contract. <laughs> I think the decimal point might be in the wrong place there, guys. It clears waivers in 27 minutes. So we are. Uh, okay. We need to be a hot check into it to see what happens there. I don't think anyone's going to pick him off, off waivers because it's going to cost too much. Maybe the Jags. I was just going to say, was was there a tweet about, I, I feel like there was something about him, his preference being the Packers if he clears waivers. Some rumours about that, apparently. Well, we'll see. I, I did put that in the news, but I think that's enough Odell Beckham Jr. talk for this <laughs> UK Ravens podcast. Ben, overtime was dramatic. Anthony Barr picked off Lamar Jackson on the Ravens' first drive. The defence then forced a three and out, and then we had a big push from Le'Veon Bell to get the Ravens into Justin Tucker's field goal range. Heart racing moments in overtime. <sighs> can't take it. It's just, <laughs> it was, it was, I mean, you, you can't, you had a feeling towards the end of the game that the momentum had completely swung back in the Ravens' favour. The Vikings' defence was completely gassed and it was, a, it was just a question of, you know, if not when, we were going to win that game. Yeah, was, and they were dying a slow fact, death, were they? Yeah, and, and the fact that, we, yeah, it was really disappointing at the end to give up that, you know, that game tying touchdown um, when, you know, we had them pinned back as well. So that was disappointing on the D. And and then at that point when, you know, we won, I thought, I said to my wife, we have to win this coin toss. If we don't win this coin toss, we could be really screwed. Um, and we did. So it was like, okay, great. We'll, we'll, we'll drive down. They haven't been able to stop us. Um, and then, yeah, we had the, um, the very unfortunate interception, which was, as you said, was not Lamar's fault. Um, and, it was a great play by Barr, to be fair, um, and uh, it, n- not bad for a big man. And uh, and suddenly, you know, at that point, they only had to really get 25 yards to get in field goal range um, from that point. They're, I think they were at our 40. Um, so have to give kudos to the defense for uh, really, and Wink, uh, for, for dialing up the plays to, to absolutely push them back. It wasn't, you know, a case of actually stopping them at 40. It was pushing them back and forcing them to, to punt it back to us. Uh, at which point we did what we were supposed to have done on the first drive um, and uh, wear down that gas defence. And as you say, Gaz, uh, the uh, the extra sort of 10 yards at the end for the field goal to make it more comfortable for Tucker, even though he could have made it from the 35, uh, was, a, was a tremendous effort from your man, Lev Bell, uh, with also the assistance of about five players pushing <laughs> him an, an additional seven yards from where he was going to end up. And uh, at that point, it was just a question of, I was I was a bit, um, yeah, I was thinking at the time, why don't they just sort of keep the time out, let it tick down to four seconds just in case we miss it and not give them a chance of basically taking over with 18 seconds, 17 seconds left to have, try with a quick Kirk Cousins throw. They could have won it. So I was a bit surprised they didn't do that. Um, but obviously it's just in Tucker. So Harbour just thought, well, he's going to make it anyway. And, uh, and he did. I don't think we can get out of here, Shane, without talking about your guy, Pat Ricard. You called it out on the podcast last week. You then celebrated yourself <laughs> in, uh, on Twitter under the UK Ravens handle, so nobody knew it was you. Big third quarter from the, the big 300-pound fullback defensive lineman, wide receiver, running back. 
um, special teams, whatever, everything. Yeah, and and it wasn't like I had any particular reason for thinking he was going to score a touchdown. I just kind of thought they haven't really used him all that much. Um, so maybe they would have come up with something in, in the bye week to to try and use him. And it, it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, where the, Greg Roman's got to figure out what kind of plays are going to work for a particular defense. And you can just imagine the defensive coordinator of the Vikings on that drive, just looking at it and going, where's this guy coming from? We've watched a whole bunch of tape on this team. They haven't been using him all year. Suddenly he's catching one-handed passes, charging down defensive backs, and then going into the into the end zone. I mean, it was just an incredible drive by, by a player who I think we all love. Um, and uh, a, a great touchdown. So that was that was one of my favourite parts of, of that game. It was great. Just want to also say right now, hi to Greg Roman and Shane will have your play uh, drawn up for the week <laughs> at the end of the show. <laughs> okay, let's touch on the bad side of the game then. The Justin Jefferson touchdown, James, it looked like a blown co- coverage. I'd seen that Mark Schlereff tape Bro, God, I can't. I was that concerned about saying Schlereff right. I've then <laughs> the rest of the sentence up. Max Schlereff did a tape breakdown on Twitter and it looked as though Elliot had signaled an out route to Marlon Humphrey, which he bit on and then ended up getting burnt. Just Jefferson ended on three for 69 yards. So apart from that one big play, a pretty quiet day from after that. Yeah, the, the, the breakdown is it's really difficult to know what was called because you don't know the, the adjustments that were made. And like you say, you can sort of speculate about it. To me, it looked like cover three, and in cover three, the the bigger problem that happened really was that Chuck Clark bit on Jefferson, bit on bit on the Jefferson out um, out route as well, uh, and so Chuck Clark vacated his vacated his zone basically, and that was what left Jefferson open. That's what it looked like to me, but you you just can't you can't know uh, without knowing what the original call was, so. I think it, you know, it, it, it was a, what was interesting was it was, it will definitely have been a miscommunic, a miscommunication at some point as well. So it is something we need to look for going forward because with Deshaun Elliott out, which I'm sure we'll touch on, <laughs> that secondary needs to work together well as a unit and, and it didn't on that play. But they did do very well against Jefferson for the rest of the game. And, and, and that's not a surprise because, you know, Marlon Humphrey, is an exceptional corner. I think he was on Jefferson a lot, but they also had Avery on him too. He like they they did a really good job with those guys and and the 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 way in which with with sorry Jefferson and Thielen and the way in which you do that is you're you're patient, you don't bite on his on his on his fakes like he does that where he will set up routes really well with with by faking an out route and and coming back to a post like he's he's a master of disguise both of them are. And if you stay patient and you don't you don't react to all the eye candy they give you, then then you can then you can do pretty well. Dalvin Cook had a big so the, as I joined Twitter towards the end of the first quarter when it was on fire, with Marlon Humphrey was toast, had given up a big play to Justin Jefferson. None of the defense could tackle. Dalvin Cook had a sixty-six yard run with broken tackles, but actually after that finished on seventeen for one ten. So again, they did stop the run eventually. Yeah, I mean, that was obviously the big one and it was very disappointing, that play. And I think all of that Twitter criticism was fully justified at the time. I mean, it was they did, they did adjust and they did tighten up as the game went on, but uh, that was a particularly appalling uh, lack of uh, tackling and also the hole was um, shown in, in uh, on the replays on the TV broadcast and uh, it was embarrassing. And um, 
obviously, you know, Brandon Williams was missing, um, and we've already said that, you know, he's not graded out too fantastically, but you know, one thing he is good at is, is stopping the run. But he did go out on the edge a little bit, and I think if uh, Derek Wolf had been there, that would have helped um, in that situation as well. So, and, and the good news is he's very, very close to being back. So at the time, it looks appalling, um, but second half tightened up, and especially down the middle, we completely stuffed them and, and just completely swallowed up any thought of, of them doing a, a trying to run up the gut and, and get yards that way so uh, on the whole I think it was especially considering the injuries on the on the line it was actually a pretty good performance on that Dalvin Cook play Ben like I've seen some people talk about the linebackers and I just want to kind of put to bed here like the the, the issue with that play as you've identified was the fact that you know the the edge was gone no there were a couple of guys who were blown backwards on the defensive line there was no edge set what happened from the linebackers was Queen shot his gap brilliantly. He read his keys, shot his gap. It just was the the ball wasn't going there. And Josh Bynes was was had a perfect pursuit angle. He just got stopped a couple of times by guys who were getting blown up back into his pursuit angle. So it really was the fact that they didn't they, they didn't take away the the wide zone offense that the that the Vikings run. Cook is aiming for that for that sort of tack sort of guard tackle spot. Um he's always aiming for that and then he's gonna bounce it if he can or he's gonna bend it back um on the cutback. And what they did really well after that after that play was they took away the the main read, which is the bang read, which is to go towards the tackle guard. They took it, they started taking it away. They started occupying double teams. I thought Jelly had a pretty good game in relief of um of Brandon Williams and and they he did a good job against the run, against what is a very potent running offense without basically their two best run defenders on the defensive line. And now that we know it turned out okay, uh, I'd recommend going back and watching the replay of that Dalvin Cook run to just look at what what Justin Jefferson is doing as he comes down the field to block Marlon Humphrey because he goes full speed for Marlon Humphrey, but windmilling his arms like he's trying to warn somebody that there's a fire. And I don't know if he's trying to distract Marlon Humphrey or whether it's, I I really don't know what he's doing, but go and watch it because it's hilarious. And it does seem to confuse Marlon to be fair. So maybe that was his strategy. That's the new tactic. <laughs> That's brilliant. I'm not seeing that. I can't wait to get my quads up. A couple of other little mistakes. We had the defense all calling out a false start on the second touchdown, I think. And when you saw the replay, nobody moved. I don't know what they'd seen. James, you could tell me someone did. Yeah, move? they showed another angle later on where oh, from they? the back, from the back angle, you couldn't see it from side on, but from the back angle, the guy lifted his backside up like really right. clearly. And he, it should have been called. I was in hangover hell by this point, so I'd, I wasn't really paying too much attention. We also had Stevens running into Duvernay on the punt return and what really could have swung the game, Shane. I mean, it could have been disastrous because you see it so often where uh, a couple of players collide and the, the guy with his back to the ball, in this case Stevens, ends up getting just brushed by the ball, which makes it live on, on a punt as soon as the receiving team have touched it. It's a live ball, so anybody can recover it. Uh, the Vikings did did get the ball, but fortunately the officials, and I think they were right, it didn't touch Stevens. It just it went very, very close. But where he was looking or what he was doing, I don't know, because he just ran and, and took um, Duvernay out. And, and the thing is, Duvernay's not supposed to be watching to make sure someone's 
not going to run into him because as a returner, I think he had he signaled for a fair catch. He was looking up at the Yeah, I think he had. So at yeah. that point, nobody can touch him anyway. And he was looking up to see where the ball was because he's got to make the catch. So it's definitely Stephen's job to stay out of his way. He didn't look like he was pushed into Duvernay. I just I don't know what happened, but it was it was almost a calamity because they would have been at the 10 or 11 yard line, I think. And in real time, I, I really thought that at live, I thought that had hit um, one of them it was and so we were screwed. Close. Yeah. So close. Yeah. It just felt chaotic, didn't it? Yeah. It just felt like, because of the the way the game was, the script was going at that point, you just thought, oh, this is it. This is where we go three scores down and it's the Bengals game again. So maybe just a rookie mistake from Brendan Stevens. However, we did then lose to Sean Elliott to an injury later on in the game. A really annoying injury because the player was injured. He's got torn pectoral and biceps. But the player was injured. The guy was actually down, then set off running as if he wasn't down. So I had to make this sort of awkward tackle to bring him down. So it's a play that should never have really happened. The play should have been blown dead and we'd have still had Deshaun Elliott for the rest of the season. But Brandon Stevens is going to get thrown into the deep end. How is he going to get on, James? He's looked he's looked good in the in the limited time we've seen him play. I think if people remember, he did play in a couple of games in relief of Elliot and and struggled a little bit at times, and then got his confidence back when the Ravens when Elliot came back and the Ravens were able to deploy him as a weapon really all across the defensive backfield. So putting him back permanently at safety will be an interesting. Like it'll be an interesting thing to see whether he can whether he's improved. He played. He obviously came in after Elliot and had a couple of nice plays. There was a couple of times when the Vikings tried to put him in conflict, tried to get him to get you know get, flash something in front of his eyes to see if he'd see if he'd bite and and then and then run a route in behind him. And he didn't. He ra- he played it really really competently. The kid is getting better and better, and we have to remember that he is not a defensive back. He's a running back who has been playing defensive back f- for less than two seasons. So he's, he's learning all the time. And I, I, I you know, I, th- I think the ceiling is really high for him. And so it's, it'll be really interesting to see him get a full half season. And there might be some growing pains early on. Um, but I think by the end of the season, I think we'll see a, we'll see a really good safety. There's also another slightly weird twist to this Deshaun Elliott thing. So he posted, his his tweet saying thanks to everyone who'd sent best wishes and what have you. Um, did anyone see Matt Judon's reply to that? So Matt Judon replied and said, love you, man, such and such. And then hashtag fire Steve, uh, which I assume refers to Steve Saunders. He's the strength and conditioning coach. Unless Matt Judon's got a problem with Steve Bishotti, but you can't fire him. He owns the team. Um, so I'm assuming it's Steve Saunders. And Steve Saunders was the guy who um, was basically blamed for the outbreak of COVID last year because he was the guy who wasn't wearing a mask around the facility and so on. Um, but I don't see how you can connect Deshaun Elliott's injury to strength and conditioning. As Gaz said, it was just a, a freak incident from him reaching out, trying to pull a guy down from, with one arm. But interesting to see if there's a sort of, you know, a little bit of tension about our strength and conditioning guy, maybe. It's an interesting point given how many players have got injured reserve and Matt Judon having been with the team. And Well, when he came in, I mean, I think this is his fourth or fifth season. I mean, after a couple of seasons, John Harbour was crediting him for the team's overall strength and conditioning. <laughs> um, and, and saying what a great job he'd done. So it it would be it would be a shift. I mean, you know, certainly 
But this was the thing that uh, Dr. Sid was saying to us a few weeks ago, that when you see a lot of injuries, you do start to look at how they're preparing and what's going on with the training and whether there's an issue there. Um, but I don't know. I don't know whether Judon was suggesting it was related to the injuries or whether Judon is just still annoyed about the COVID thing. Or maybe Matt Judon just doesn't like Steve Saunders. Who knows? He's a, he's a mercurial figure, is Matt Judon. So, you know. So I think I think we should be remiss not to touch on James, your draft darling Ben Mason, <laughs> released by the Patriots. Baltimore Ravens practice squad incoming. Do you think? I mean, you, you, <laughs> I, I doubt it. <laughs> In the way that he left, <laughs> I would be very surprised if they bring him back. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe they do, and they let bygones be bygones and and bring him back in, but I'd be very surprised if they did, given what's happened. And also given the fact that the Patriots have now had him for, for, uh, you know, eight, nine weeks and have, and have decided to release him from the practice squad. So it doesn't bode well for him, unfortunately. Okay. Let's go into the interview with Nat. Then we did re- record this yesterday, so we know it's going to be quite a long one. So we'll jump into the interview with Nat and then we'll pick it back up on the other side for our game predictions. Let's go. We are now joined by someone who's been involved with the NFL in the UK for years. You've seen him on BBC Sports, Sky Sports, Talk Sport, The Times. This guy is everywhere. He's currently the creator and anchor of the Nat Coombs Show podcast. Welcome to the UK Ravens Show, Nat Coombs. How you doing, man? Very good to be here. Slightly threatened by so many Ravens surrounding me. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we should probably mention at this point, you are a Dolphins fan, aren't you, Matt? I am a Dolphins fan for my sins. One of the most ill-judged decisions of my life. <laughs> and at the time, I figured, hey, this is going to work out well, right? We're going to be, <laughs> we're quids in. Uh, no Super Bowl appearances ever. So not, I mean, in, uh, in my lifetime, obviously, or in my lifetime supporting the Dolphins, to be precise. So uh, yeah, you lot, I mean, you've got the rings, you've got the great Joe Flacco <laughs> to celebrate. What have we got? We got nothing. We got zip. So okay, let's let's jump straight into it then with the Dolphins. What what got you into the NFL? What got you into American sports and specifically why the Miami Dolphins? Yeah, again, a question <laughs> I ask myself a lot. I uh, <laughs> I was a kid who turned it on. So a child of the eighties who turned it on, uh, like I'm sure a lot of your listeners out there, and just discovered this incredible Technicolor game. And I, I was always obsessed with America from a young age. You know, all my favorite comics and shows were American. My favorite bands are all American. And so it kind of made sense. I probably paid more attention to it because, oh, what's this is America. I love sports. And, uh, but I had no idea what was going on. This was pre-internet, you know, uh, pre-podcast. So I had to piece it all together. I did that through watching the, the great highlight shows uh, on Channel 4 back in the day and reading first down newspaper. Uh, love it. Um, and uh, I never looked back. Yeah. So, and the Dolphins, because uh, it was that era of Marino and the Marx Brothers and the highfalutin freewheeling offense, which I, which I do love. The, I'm also a West Ham fan. So the Cavalier... Uh, they like the they are the academy of the NFL, <laughs> the academy <laughs> of football across the pod. I like to think anyway. So yeah, it was. I like the style. What a day for you yesterday! Then you beat Liverpool and the Dolphins won. I mean, incre- I mean, incredible stuff. And I was trying to, you know, Ben, you and I, you and I go back a bit. You know, I'm a consumer professional, so <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I was in studio, and we were actually on air a, a little bit later than usual on on Talksport. So uh, that game was on, and when you're doing the the, the 
studio show, you have seven or eight screens in, uh, in uh, around you. And I had at least six of them tuned to the West Ham game. <laughs> and a, couple of, a couple of them on red zone as well. Just paying attention to that. Uh, but it was, yeah, to get distracting me. Thank God we didn't actually go on air until after the full-time whistle. Otherwise, I think I would have been struggling. So a good win yesterday, but how's the season been in general for for those of our listeners who uh, are not really paying attention to what the Dolphins are doing? Yeah, and, and why should you, frankly, given how <laughs> abject and vanilla we've been this season? I mean, yeah, d- deeply disappointing. Although I will be the first, Shane, to admit that I get many things wrong <laughs> on a regular basis. Uh, but I did kind of see this coming. I think there was a little bit too much hype about the Dolphins going into the season and predicated on a pretty sensible rationale and thought process, right? We are a well-coached side. I'm not jumping on this ridiculous, let's get rid of Flores bandwagon, let's blow the whole thing up. I think he's great. And I think he's definitely the right guy to take us forward. The defense has wholly underperformed. Uh, and that has been a, a, a huge issue for, for obvious reasons. And connected, I think, that is connected to our offense struggling. Injury hasn't helped. There have been key injuries at critical stages. Tour obviously hasn't been able to find any kind of rhythm. All of this uh, rumor around Deshaun Watson obviously is going to unsettle him. And I think that situation has been wholly mismanaged. I think Tua has been mismanaged from the start. I didn't like last season when the Dolphins are wheeling in fits, you know, as a pinch hitter to close the game and stuff like that. I mean, of course it's going to, damage the ego of a young player who's trying to find his way in the league. So I think there are lots of small individual, isolated, not isolated, but small individual uh, issues that collectively have come together. And look, we know this in the NFL, fine margins, right? A couple of things go a different way and suddenly the record's different and the talk's different. So a bad season, but not, I don't think any real cause for long-term concern. I think we'll be back next year. And there was a time when it seemed like the Dolphins organization was just managing everything quite badly. (laughs) Do they seem to kind of have a grip on things now? Does it seem like a well-run organization? I think so, by and large. And again, holding my hands up, admitting when I'm wrong, when the Chris Greer and Flores tag team came in and they did blow the thing up, I didn't wholly agree with that because I get selling high. So I get Belichick's obviously the master at this, right? I get the, well, you know, if we're going to pay Stefan Gilmore for another four or five years, actually by year two, three, he's probably going to be uh, going down. And, and I understand that. But Greer uh, got rid of Minka Fitzpatrick, got rid of Laramie Tunsil, who are young cornerstones. And I didn't quite understand that at the time. I thought, well, I get you've got to rebuild and you've got to get draft capital, but you got to keep some good players, right? It can't just be a complete fire sale, particularly if they're young players that you presumably want to build the future around. But the capital they they got was significant, and it's been a little bit hit and miss in terms of how they spent it. Right? There have been some some notable successes, but not so much. And then you got players like Tua who are, were right on the fence about because we just don't know. So uh, the game plan made sense. The execution. Not wholly convinced, but generally, I think it is a well-run organization. I, I, when they were over this year, I got some time with Flores in an interview with him, and he is a, a really impressive guy. And I've been doing this long enough to know when you're getting fobbed off with generic uh, 
John Gruden-esque, <laughs> just to say I can call him out now, when you're just getting <laughs> getting spiel and you know you're getting played and you know it's all, and and fair enough, I mean, they've got a lot to deal with. And it helps, I guess, when you go into an interview like that, it really depends often who you're working for at the time, the mood they're in, uh, how they're doing that season, all these different things. The BBC, they always give a, a special priority too. Although when we, when we sat down with Flores, we were told we were going to interview him before the press conference he had to give him before training. It was after the press conference. It went on interminably long. <laughs> and before training, he was ready to go out to training. So it was quite possibly the worst time you could have sat down with him. But credit to him, he... Oh, and the other kicker was the PR. The PR guy said to my producer, so you need a coach for, what, five minutes? <laughs> what? <laughs> um, but he he stuck around and he, uh, he answered the questions sincerely and with real consideration and he had a very interesting we well has you might have noticed this from presses he's given he's got a very interesting uh better chickian inflection where when he's asked a question and he isn't certain of how he wants to answer he will hold a pause for i mean sometimes 10 15 seconds just staring into the distance considering what he wants to say like as if harold pinter had created the uh <laughs> the press conference and and that I think is really impressive. It, it shows me he's somebody who is in complete command of what he wants to say. He's not going to suffer fools gladly. He's not going to be rushed to play the game. Really measured guy. And I, I was chatting to Osi and Jabel about it afterwards. They asked me about, or oh, how was he? What was he like? And I said, look, fellas, I never played anywhere remotely near the level that you played but i reckon if i had and he was a coach that was put in front of me i would be looking at him thinking yeah i'll play for you and i reckon if you was put in front of you with everything you two achieved you would both look at each other and say yeah yeah we'd play for him he feels like that kind of that kind of coach the other coach i've interviewed that that particularly stood out is mike vrabel so when the titans came over a few years back and vrabel was uh i think it's probably in his first year as a head coach and getting slated and, and, you know, everyone was, Oh, I don't know if he's another Patriot, you know, offshoot failure. I did this thing where I had to interview Vrabel and three or four of his players at the same time for uh, like a Facebook live thing. And you could tell straight away that these players all really liked him, but respected him. He just had this like, complete respect. Flores has the same thing. You can tell his players just are all in for him. I mean, as a, uh, as Ravens fans will, fans will testify, um, we're used to quarterback controversies and you kind of just touched on the, the tour thing, but mm. I'm going to have to probe you a bit further on this because it seems to be sort of the hot button lightning rod issue across sort of Dolphins message boards and Twitter and stuff like that. Mm. It's um, it, it seems to be getting quite a rough ride from a lot of the fan base um, considering, and obviously there was expectation going in that he'd be at a certain level, but as you've said, there are certain things around him that maybe have not... Uh, made him too comfortable in Miami. What's your is is he the future for the Dolphins? I think the the point on this bet is we don't we don't know, and that's why I think the criticism or the degree of criticism, the extent of it, and and the conclusion that let's move on from him is ridiculous. Uh, at this idea that he's not the future, we we haven't seen enough of we haven't seen enough of him, and it, 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 it certainly I was the whole Deshaun Watson thing. The interest in Watson, look, outside of everything else, from a footballing perspective, look, Watson's clearly a generational talent, but 
do you really want to, what they, the, what Pelissaro reported yesterday at three first rounders, we're looking at three first rounders. You want to really, that he, he's that much better. I mean, I it just, that feels crazy. I was describing it as a bit like two of this is in the situation, the decision to move on. It's like going into watch a movie and which is promising, if not exceptional. And after 14 minutes of that movie, getting up and walking out because you're not certain it's going to win an Oscar. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about the whole tour situation. We don't know. And I, and it's difficult, I guess, with Justin Herbert, most, most obviously performing at the level he is, which is an outlier. Rookie quarterbacks typically or young quarterbacks don't do that. So we just don't know about two. I'm, it's a really good point you make about the fans though, in particular, and then because we know the organization clearly isn't sold and then that's why they're looking at shopping around but i'm surprised how many of the fans are anti-tour it just doesn't make any sense to me We've, he's been in the nfl five minutes uh, nowhere in this generation where everything is faster faster what have you done for me lately you've got to be an instant hit but we know with absolute certainty that young quarterbacks take time to develop. Look at the Bills and Josh Allen. If that's not like right in front of Miami as an example of maybe just give it a little bit more time, then you know, I don't know what is. So I would I'm a hundred percent behind giving to at least another season. Yeah, I think I mean even with Tannehill in Tennessee, he's he's not looking too shabby now, having left the Dolphins. Yeah. So if anyone knows about it, um, you know, it's it should be it should be you yeah, guys. Yeah. I felt for you a bit now because I saw a um a thing that um Saw a clip and I hadn't noticed it at the time when that they on ESPN they asked Mike Tannenbaum uh, if he would take Tua uh, at the time at the time of the draft get when the time of the draft came around and he, and he said uh, no I'd, I'd take Justin Herbert all day long and uh, felt a bit felt a bit bad for you guys at that point because oh, he'd only been gone a couple of years. <laughs> oh, I know. The um, incidentally a bit of uh, bit of trivia for you. Mike Tannenbaum's been on my show a fair few times. Uh, big Peloton rider. And we got talking about the fact that most of the get-up crew are obsessed with Peloton. And the idea of Tanabam, and he's quite good fun, considering, you know, he's a front office guy. You might you imagine he might be quite quite straight and serious. He's quite a lot of fun. If you take the mickey out of, like, some, you go with Lycra on the on the Peloton mic. Uh, <laughs> what do, you, do you go full Tour de France when you're on it? And he's uh, he's up for that. But um, I, yeah, I... The draft, I don't know what you guys think. The draft always interests me, but Tannenbaum is an exception. And and of course, those who follow, follow the college game closely are. But the amount of NFL analysts, writers, broadcasters, podcasters that that around draft day are authorities on every single pick, <laughs> like they've been watching them for years. And it's it's just a nonsense. They watched a, you know, a couple of games in a highlight reel and they suddenly know everything. So... You know, I think there. I think a lot of there is a lot of talk around the draft, and it's easy to understand why. Um, why with the picks in such close proximity, you look, you think, well, we could have had that, but again, that's kind of my point. We don't know what we've got with Tua yet. He could end up being as good. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I, I'm I'm in the same camp as you. You know, I give him give him a bit more time. He hasn't shown. As we haven't we haven't given him enough time yet to see see what he's going to be in the NFL. I wanted to ask you a bit more about um, Flores and the defense. Because um, mm. obviously it's been such a disappointment this year, and and I think for Ravens fans it's worth worth pointing out that it's a very it's a very similar defense to Wink Martindale with the with uh, all of the cover zero that you guys run and the and the heavy blitz the heavy blitz packages. Love a blitz. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, we'll have a blitz here. Shane has a blitz of the week where he'll break down uh, Wink Martindale blitz for us. Um, oh, that sounds great. <laughs> you just made me realise, actually, of course, this is going to be blitz central. <laughs> break break the carnage. <laughs> really will be. Really. Um, but I suppose my question is, you know, a lot of that came in last year and, and, it, and it, well, it came in, it came in a couple of years ago, but last year you really got those packages working and you look like a really formidable defense. Yeah. Like what's, what's gone wrong this year? What, I suppose that's a million oh, dollar question. That but. is, that is really, uh, you know, I, I, I think it kind of, I actually asked Flores that question. Uh, I asked him specifically defensively, why is this so different? And he said a lot of it is just very small detail that's been sloppy at certain key points in the game i think i think injury has played a, a part and look it's a difficult reason to give because every team suffers with injury right and of course that is, is to a stronger or lesser degree depending on the personnel but when you know if you look at the way we're structured when Xavier, howard and byron jones are both out that's a they're two heavyweights, but I mean, when they're both out there, the strength in depth just isn't there. Uh, and I think that really affects how offenses approach us. And when they see that, um, I, I think it is just a simple case of players have been underperforming. We, we miss Carl Van Noy. I think that was a mistake to let him go. Uh, so again, a combination of a number of different things that have happened in close proximity and, with an offense that hasn't really found its rhythm and its identity, as we know, you know, both units have a significant impact on each other, right? If our offense was balling more effectively, then take the pressure off the defense. And, and it hasn't been at all that, you know, offensively our ground game has been non-existent, uh, you know, which means that we, our time of possession has been poor. Uh, so, a lot of different things, but Flora, you know, from the from the horse's mouth, Flora said just frustrating sloppiness, really. Stuff that they were doing really sharply individually and therefore collectively last season, this time around has, has just been uh, frustratingly rough around the edges. Okay, now let's start looking ahead to this week's game mm. then. And let's let's see the um, analysis fall out of you and the, the real fans start showing through now. Mm. Who on this Miami Dolphins team should we be scared to play on Thursday night? I got two words for you, Gaz. Mike Gesicki, the great Mike Gesicki. <laughs> he is, I mean, I, all this talk of, I mean, look, Kelsey's, Kelsey's fallen off the radar. Uh, Kittle's been banged up. Zaka, Kittle's, Kit, uh, Gesicki is your guy. Gesicki is your guy. He is for me um, the 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 player that we love to see as fans because he can make spectacular plays. He is that type of tight end where he is new school enough that, like you know Kyle Pitts, like the guys I mentioned, he's basically a receiver in the body of a linebacker. But he's he's he doesn't mind mixing it up at all. He loves to block, just no nonsense. So I love Gesicki. Uh, is he underrated? I don't know. I know. We, I mean, when I say Gesicki to you guys, do you think, oh yeah, yeah, heavyweight, or do you think, oh yeah, I've heard some good stuff, or is he not really on your radar? If I throw Gesicki, what do you say? I think we might get offended that you didn't mention Mark Andrews in that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> As I asked that question, I realised I should have mentioned Mark. Fair, a fair point. I will accept that. Yeah, it feels like two very similar setup teams, two very similar mm. defenses. 
a superstar tight end and yeah, yeah. A, a quarterback that can use his legs. Yeah, well, this is it. Um, and so, so Gesicki, I think, is is a player. I'd like to see more. I mentioned earlier, our ground game's been, uh, been pretty vanilla. Uh, I was looking at the numbers, actually. Uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, against Houston, what do you think Gaskin's average yards per carry was? Miles Gaskin. Throw that Probably out Probably about 2.8. Okay, Ben's going 2.8. Because it's Miles Gaskin, and and just just to answer this, because obviously all my knowledge comes from my fantasy team. Ah, so, yeah, yeah, uh, so and so Gasicki, I've had my dynasty team for I think three years now, so I know him quite well, and I like him. Had to, I like him had very to much. shoe on it in, didn't you? Had to shoe on <laughs> yeah, your fantasy team in. You couldn't go one interview without mentioning it. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. No, because you asked me last week how I'd done, and I didn't even bring it up, and I was zero and four. So I just thought I'd bring it up. I was three and one this week. So anyway, carry you on. went two point eight, Ben. Right? Are we getting yep. higher or let's go? Let's go higher. Play your cards right. Higher or lower than 2.8? 2.4. James going 2.4. Okay. Mm, I'm going to go somewhere between. I was going to say 2.5, so I'm going to go between those two. Shane goes 2.5. Gaz, Gaz you need to go 8.4 now, don't you? <laughs> no, to be fair, I, I had 2.6 in my head, but that's too close to Shane. So I'll go silly low. Let's go 1.1. Yeah, oh, Gaz, you're not far off. <laughs> 1.7 is what Miles <laughs> Gaz can manage against Houston, just to be clear. Uh, against wow. Houston, Texas. 34 yards, 28. He did get a touchdown there, so he would have got you some points, Ben. Um, he did. <laughs> but this has been the problem, really. Gaskin ha- you know, has the potential, but uh, he's been banged up a bit as well. Um, and we've got um, yeah, we've got a problem when we can't get a, get a ground game going, and that's uh, uh, been a huge issue for us. So uh, I think the other player that you should keep an eye on who's been increasingly improving understandably as a, as a rookie as the season has gone on is Waddle. You know, he is really looking like the playmaker we hoped he would be. And that gives me a lot of cause for optimism because when, when I think it and turn us back on the Ravens, I am amazed that you hadn't invested sooner in a Stefan Diggs go-to guy for for Lamar. I mean, you know, and every, and all of this, and I'm, a, by the way, a massive Lamar fan and it really, can I swear on the show? <laughs> okay. Uh, I, it really winds me up that, um, this, stu- this, uh, this patronizing narrative that, oh um, yeah, sure. Lamar's a great, he's a great with his legs, but he can't throw the ball. I just constantly hear this. I actually went, uh, head to head a bit with Carlson on this the other day, because Carlson was kind of going down that road again. I was like, are you, are you kidding me? You can't, we can't say this. Now, he's not as an accomplished a passer as some of his contemporaries, but this idea that he's not capable at all, I think is nonsense, but also is borne out uh, by what he's had around him. And I know it's a lot better this year, right? But um, he hasn't had the same weapons around him for obvious reasons Mahomes has or, or, or Allen has. Let me ask you where you guys are at on Rashad Bateman. Is, is he the real deal? Is it too early to tell? He's looking great so far. So he's, you know, definitely mm. an incredible start. And some of his catches yesterday were absolutely extraordinary. So mm. I think it's it's going to be interesting to see if he hits that rookie wall, you know, that once he gets to a certain stage of the season where it just starts to take it out of him. But his start so far has been astonishing. Mm. I think it's been, I mean, it's been, what is it? It's only two full starts now. And his first 10 catches in the NFL as a pro all went for first down. Yeah. Yeah, and you're seeing that already, I guess. You're seeing that within factoring it. So he's had two starts and three. So he played a little bit before, didn't he? So is that making life a lot easier for Hollywood Brown? Are you seeing the knock-on effect? or I think, yeah. I think the Brown thing is just him finally 
coming of age himself. You know, Brown just has become a, a bit of an alpha, really. And mm. the, the big thing with Hollywood Brown, I think, that's been added is, so we, we had um, T. Martin and Keith Williams. Uh, Keith Williams has worked with Tyreek Hill and loads of, loads of, um, of the best receivers in the NFL. And then they're now in the Ravens coaching staff. And they've made a big impact on, on Hollywood Brown, his separation at the top of his routes. But the other big thing with Hollywood Brown is his yak. Like for the first couple of years, he was so banged up that he just went down at the first sign of any kind of tackle. He just, mm. in fact, he avoided tackles and literally went went down to the floor as soon as he caught the ball. But yesterday was a was a huge game for him where he just he, it seemed like every catch he would he would turn take a five yard turn and take it twenty yards upfield and try and mm. truck someone even though he's hundred and seventy pound wet through. <laughs> I love so. It. I feel like he's taken a step himself, and, and Bateman can only help him down the down the road. I would think. No, that's interesting to hear. So he's channeling. Holly was channeling his uh, inner Anquan, is what we're saying. <laughs> his inner Bolden didn't a Bolden. That's one of the most impressive things ever. Didn't he break his jaw and then play the next game? Is that right? Did I remember that rightly? It's like his jaw just wired up and went out and played the next game. <laughs> I, wow. I think he did. That, that's when he yeah, he got a really, that was for, for Arizona, wasn't it? And he got a really, really heavy hit. In the, I think it was like in the end zone, catching a touchdown or something. And he, and he smashed his face up. Yeah. yeah he, he, was a, he was a hard guy. And we had Steve Smith following that, who was also a hard yeah, guy. Yeah. So yeah, we've, we've missed an authoritative figure, a wide receiver that could make those grabs. And I think you're absolutely right. Um, with Bateman, it does provide that valve, and he's done it. I mean, he's he's come on, and he's and he's made catch after catch after catch to get us first downs, um, and it's freed up Brown. So yeah, it's probably the best wide receiver core that the Ravens have had in years and years and years. I think that's definitely true. Um, and yeah, I think Bateman, as you say, is going to develop into he's someone that Lamar trusts already, and you can Ooh. see that. And so I think that makes a big difference. So would you swap? Rashad Bateman for Jamar Chase. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you want to ask me, so you said before now, people who watch the draft and stuff, I, I do a lot of that. And, um, and I, I mean, I would, I, yeah. I, 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 Bateman is, Bateman's great. And there are lots of, lots of great things to Bateman. Um, I think he has great separation quickness and I, I think he's got great hands, but Chase is just built different. He can beat you mm. in so many different ways. He, he just, you know, the, the last two games, the Bengals have lost because the rest of the receivers haven't done anything because they've been double teaming and triple teaming Jamar Chase off mm. the line, like rolling coverage to him. It's just been, it's remarkable to see how quickly his game has, has translated to the, to the league. Yeah. In, in, almost instantly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. James, how many, how many fumbles did uh, Rashad Bateman have yesterday in critical moments? <laughs> how many did Jamal Chase have? That settles it then. <laughs> I'm keeping I'm keeping Bateman. I'm staying loyal. Okay, so the other side of the ball then. Is there anyone, well, I'm sure there's a lot of people, anyone on the Ravens not named Lamar Jackson who scares you going into the game? Oh, boy. Well, I mean, we talked about the, the key protagonists, I guess, offensively, yeah. I mean, I'm a big Hollywood fan as well. And again, it, it's not exactly the same. But it's um, similar, this generation that we're living in, that when he had that nightmare game, you know, and he was hitting the face and all of these idiots piling in saying, oh, well, you know, he's always been rubbish and, oh, you know, and it, it, you know, just wild uh, overreaction. I've always, always liked him. And I could see, it's interesting you say it about injury. I didn't realize that actually early on in his career. I didn't realize or hadn't connected or remembered, probably most likely, uh, the... <laughs> um, the injury factor, because clearly there was something that was 
stopping hitting that that full stride, which he appears to have really kicked on with now. But also, I guess that's the um, maturation of, of Lamar as well, right? And and again, this is all something that um, that needs time and should be given time to breathe. I have a question for you that on that, Gaz, I'll fire something back at you. So I remember chatting with the same conversation, you know, Lamar, what's his ceiling? Where is he in relation to other quarterbacks with, with OC and Jaber? We were before one show we were doing and we were kicking around the discussion points and Lamar came up and the guys were particularly talking about, we were looking at quarterbacks that, um, I think Goff might have been in the conversation as well. We were just looking at the different styles of quarterbacks and limitations, essentially. And this was when Goff was still at the Rams and the ceiling that they had with him because of how much he had to be spoon-fed, of course, which is which is well-documented now, but also the way he reads games. And this is really coming to like when he's in a team like the Lions, right? We're seeing his, his limitations firsthand. And applying this to Lamar, not the same limitations, but saying, is he reading the game in the same way that, say, Mahomes can read the game in? Can he throw his receiver open in the same way Mahomes can do that? And uh, I think it was J-Bell was really laying in on Greg Roman. I think it was J-Bell. I'm just saying that the, the um, offensive game plans just hadn't really played to Lamar's strengths. Is that a fair call? Do you think that in in recent years, he has been... Um, let down by his coordinators. We, we, we've had this battle in within the Ravens fan base, and especially within our podcast, we've spoke about it. Is it Lamar? Is it his surrounding talent? Or is it the coordinators? And I think at times it's been a mix of all three. Mm. You mentioned Lamar and how he's reading the game. I think one thing that goes unnoticed a lot about Lamar is he's still so young. Right. It gets a lot of comparisons to Joe Burrow, and he's younger than him. Even though Joe Burrow's uh, came into the league later. He's still a young quarterback. He's, Patrick Mahomes has got two years on him, mm. and he's still learning. What Lamar has is he has his legs, and he has, well, or he's had had a really good rushing game. So they've used that while he's, I think, learning to be a better passer. And we've seen it this year. Is go back the the Ravens couldn't win from behind. Lamar can't throw. Every time a narrative comes out about Lamar, it beats the narrative, but then the goalposts just keep getting moved on him. And it must be one of the most over-criticized quarterbacks in yeah. the NFL yeah. because of the style of football he plays. But every time someone comes up with something, it, it silences. And so the, people are trying yeah. now trying to find different ways to criticize this guy. And he's just yeah. so good. And we had... Cassie Calvert on last week, who runs the Ravens' um, social media. She does. So she's really active with all the players. Mm. And she said he's like the nicest guy in the world as well. He knows all the names of all the staff in, in the stadium. He's, yeah. he's just such an awesome guy to be around. And how how can people not like him? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. Like I said, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I'm not just dropping this because I'm on a, you know, a Raven show and trying to curry favor. He, he's one <laughs> of my favorite players. And the criticism surrounds him winds me up and I've you know all kinds of theories as to why he gets criticism from certain corners but we'll save that for a, for another day but I think he's a hell of a player and uh and and bizarrely given how much he's achieved underrated you know but maybe this is his year maybe he shuts them up you know that was the other one right well Lamar's never won a playoff game he's at 19 years old <laughs> god's sake it's not like Andy Dalton's never won a playoff game when he's been playing in the NFL for 14 seasons I mean it's just ridiculous all these stupid 
stupid narratives that get chucked out as by as carlson would say the mouth clowns uh (laughs) (laughs) love firing about and it took peyton manning a while to win his first playoff game it takes you know it takes time Right, exa- exactly. You know, something that we don't seem to be giving anybody anymore. So, yeah. If, if, if you look at what the Ravens were before Lamar joined and what they've become, mm. um, and if you look at his pure uh, record as far as wins and losses, which is insane, and his numbers, which are insane. So take all the stats out of it anyway. Um, I think it comes down to, firstly, looking at the coordinators. The Ravens, kind of, and John Harbour, his job was saved by drafting Lamar and also being willing to change and adapt. And that the entire organization basically said, this guy's different. We believe in him. We're going to roll with him and actually adapt to the way we play to accommodate him. So um, I think some of the criticism on coordinators is is unfair. Some of the criticism on Greg Roman, who is, is a very popular fall guy, um, is unfair. Um, but you're correct. I mean, everything that's been leveled against Lamar, he is he is beaten down. And I think it comes down to very simply wanting to knock the top guy off the perch. Mm-hmm. And it's common in certainly in opposing fan bases in that there's an element of jealousy. Um they don't like to see anyone do too well. And it's, it's I think it's difficult for them because Lamar is a nice guy. So it's kind of going, well, I can't really hate the guy for uh for being a jerk because he's he's always nice. So I'll I'll criticize his wobbly throws. Um, yes. But uh it's uh, I don't think it really worries any of us because I think you asked any of us, we we wouldn't trade Lamar for the world, and we're all very very happy to have him because this is after after a decade of moribund offense. Mm. It's insane to to watch every week, knowing that you've actually got a chance offensively, even if you're down two three scores. Just to make a statement, so you know where we are as a fan base. Yeah. I think make the decision today. I think is the the MVP. I I, th- I think if you take it if you take it at its at its. Uh, most valuable player at its at its most kind of at the definition of what it is he he's several times over the course of the season put his put the team on his back we have the most amount of players on injured reserve um in the league we're we're severely depleted and he just wins games for us you know look at yesterday he had a bad he had a bad first half by his standards this season he turned it on for about a quarter and a half and we won the game he's that good. And I think that the thing that makes most Ravens fans sleep well at night about Lamar, that is the thing that is that most people don't sort of mention in the media is his ability to get better. That's the thing that always makes me feel okay. You saw it through Louisville when he was with Bobby Petrino, at Louisville when he was with Bobby Petrino. Then when he's come here, he's got better every single season at throwing the football. He really improved his mechanics over the last, over the last off season. And you can see it now. That's why he's throwing for the the kinds of yardage he's throwing for. Yeah, it's been we've got a much better passing game, I think, under with with Keith Williams coming in. But his mechanics are so much better. Uh, he doesn't, you know, it's very hard to have a nuanced conversation about Lamar's um, like areas for development. But he rushed his motion a little bit when he was under pressure last last season and in previous seasons, and that's just really different now. He's still processing the field, processing the game at a really high level. And he's just added a lot more consistency to to his to his throws, and and so he just continues to get better and better. And the league can figure him out all they like. He's going to keep getting better, and they're going to have to keep figuring him out all the way through his career. Would you like them to get whether it's in the draft? Although I'm not sure. And actually, yeah, there's there. I think from uh, and I'm basing this on going back to what I said earlier or not on what I know about this particular college draft, but. Uh, on the pod, we have a show called College Days, which Ben Isaacs, who some of your listeners I'm sure will know, is a, who is an 
uh, a guru uh, when it comes to college evaluates the talent. And I think it's kind of reasonable receiver class. Would you like them to draft another young receiver? Would you like them to go into the market and free agency and get uh, a big name? Or do you think you've got enough? That we've got enough. The, the, the resources have to go on the offensive line in this next offseason. We have mm. to we have to spend a good amount of draft capital on the offensive line. They've, I think a receiver, let's give those guy, young guys time to develop. We've got Duvernay looks good too this season. Um, James Prochet, I'm a big fan of. Like we've got some, we've got some talent now in that room. The the big problem is the offensive line. Lamar's been covering up for a lot of sins on that offensive line, and, yeah. and so we have to get better there. And it's a good point that you know we've been playing with um, a, a hugely depleted roster, uh, most on IR in the league, mm. um, a, a reshifted, inconsistent offensive line. He's been playing without Nick Boyle, who he had previously, that was you know the best blocking tight end in the league, which makes a lot happen for the running game, and also without the top two running backs. I mean, we've been playing with basically free agent. Um, no offense to them, but fairly washed guys that are on the other side of the hill let's put it that hey, way Left Bell listens um, to the show Ben I should point out so he's gonna <laughs> well, uh, well Left, Left Bell does listen because his biggest fan Gaz Poole is on he's one of the hosts who's guaranteed Left Bell 700 plus yards this year so <laughs> 700 plus I like that I'll take that I'll take the over on that <laughs> there we go where's he in where's he in when you need him running away you knew this was coming that's comeback right comeback player of the year do you know who my comeback player of the year was before the start of the season there you go uh, Odell Beckham. <laughs> uh, <laughs> still, there's still time now. There Just like there's still time for Le'Veon to get 700 yards. There's still time for exactly, Odell. Exactly. That's what I believe. He's landing the Seahawks. They're going to make the playoffs. It'll all come good <laughs> for Odell Beckham. Nat, we always, we always ask for a score prediction and a player prop. Have you, Ooh, you give us a, a put you on the spot a bit? Mm, okay. So, oh, God. I mean, Before it's you go be... into this, do you want to talk about the last three Ravens Dolphins games? Oh, oh nice. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 59 10, 40 <laughs> zip, and 38 yeah, yeah. 6. So, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> 137 to 16 Thanks, across the three games. Oh, <laughs> God. Um, 137 to 16. That's yeah. extraordinary. Did, uh, Gaz, did, didn't you do this with our Bengals guest before we yeah, got yeah, smoked yeah, by yeah, them? Did, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, hey, you see, because this has been. Um, well, you know, 48 hours of upset specials. Maybe, uh, <laughs> no, I can't, I can't see. I mean, look, first things first. I mean, I don't have an issue with, with Jacoby Brissett. Again, I think people were piling on him yesterday. He's, he's just a very good backup, right? I think he's, you know, can do some good stuff, can spell for a while. Is it a massive drop-off from Tua? Yeah, I think it is actually a, a significant one, if not a massive one, unlike... Uh, you know, other backups coming in. Um, so I think that's a problem if Tua is questionable. It's a, even if he does start, it's a broken finger. I mean, yeah, against, I mean, I, I'm, before I answer that question, Gaz, the other thing I want to ask you guys was a subject we talked about on the pod quite recently. Is this, and I know you're banged, banged up and uh, this has got some significant bearing on it, but is this Ravens D overhyped or rather overestimated because of the, legacy and the general perception that the Ravens always put out a good D is this because a lot of uh, particularly earlier on in the season there was a lot of buzz about how balanced this Ravens side is and the D and Patrick Queen and uh, is that all fair do you think it is a top 10 unit in the league or do you think it is maybe a little bit elevated because of the great defenses of the past I don't know if it's that that's driving it but it's definitely it, it is overestimated I think the mm. we've seen what a big loss Marcus Peters was. Mm. Um, Wink schemes in particular depend on 
very reliable defensive backs behind all of that pressure. Right. Guys who can read what's going on and know where they should be at the right time. Just like the Finns. I mean, it's ex- exactly the same in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. And you you lose somebody with Marcus Peters' ability to read what's going on and to, to help organize everybody else. And we're really seeing the problems. There was a, the, the touchdown yesterday, a uh, 50-yard touchdown pass to Justin Jefferson was a classic example of miscommunication in that secondary. Mm. They just didn't understand who was supposed to be guarding Jefferson and which side of him he was supposed to be on. And Patrick Queen is a guy who was, we expected him to take a step up um, this year and it hasn't really happened. So they've taken some responsibility off him and they're kind of putting him in a more limited role. Um, I think there's been a few instances of players who we thought would kind of move to another level where it hasn't really happened. Mm. And so, yeah, they've definitely underwhelmed. But I think I think Marcus Peters' loss was much bigger than any of us anticipated at the time. Mm. Yeah, he's a hell of a player. I love, love Marcus Peters. Uh, uh, that's interesting. Thanks, Shane, for that. I um, Okay, I'm going to say... Oh, God. <laughs> I'm going to say <laughs> 28. 28... 16, I'm going to say to the Ravens. 28 16 is where I'm going. That sounds about, that sounds a fair result. <laughs> With, and my prop is anytime scorer Mike Gesicki. Mike Gesicki. Gesicki punches it in early doors and gives you a scare. That's what, a one handed grab. And so before we let you go, tell us a little bit about, because you and I both got into the NFL around about the same time. Mm. And I'm interested to hear what it's like covering the NFL now from the uk particularly when when we were kids i was i think i said this on the podcast the other week that um you did you often didn't know what had happened in a sunday night game until tuesday or even thursday when first right. down came out so the yeah. information lag was so huge whereas yeah. now you can watch all of the games live as as they happen is it covering the game from three thousand miles away is it are you are you almost like being in the US because of how easy it is to, to keep up with stuff? Or do you still feel that distant? It's a great question. I remember that so vividly that I used to get the box scores in the Times on a Tuesday morning. I remember the Times would carry not so not every newspaper, but most newspapers do even carry it. Um God bless Teletext, of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh but first down was when first down arrived, that was just uh uh heaven. because uh, you could start to get into the into the deep deep dive i wind carlson up all the time i used to read you in first down when i was at school (laughs) the entire time um so yeah i mean it's a it's a great point because the access is is so obviously so obviously different and what is i think a really interesting wrinkle there is it it, it, shows like this a team specific shows and team specific writing and even um you know, an extension of that, not necessarily team specific, but X's and O's writing versus, uh, you know, more narrative based stuff and, 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 uh, you know, general thematic editorial versus really, really serious, hardcore X's and O's. And there's something for every fan, right. And you can, um, really drill down and in, in a lot of depth with all the specialists that are out there, in, you know, including, your good selves and, and great shows like this, which is, you know, why I, it's fascinating for me to come on and ask you questions about the Ravens. Cause you know, much better than I do because you live and breathe them, right? And, you, and they, they're your team and you study them and you broadcast and analyze them week in, week out. So I think that's a huge, huge change as well. In terms of connection. Yeah. I think it's different. And there was an appeal, I guess, in the past growing up because it was this 
sport so many thousands of miles away and you just got little fragments of it and that in many respects made it all the more enticing for sure uh and and i and a part of me misses that i guess but i but i wouldn't change it now the the access that we have i think we do take it for granted as well as a fan base and i'm not flying the kind of nfl uk party line or anything else but i do think we should just stop and take a breath sometimes realize how lucky we are that we're getting games over here and that matter and all of these great players coming over when back in the day we had the american bowl and that was i mean that was amazing back yeah. in the day but you know it's an altogether different thing i saw dan marino uh, beat joe montana at when oh when you're I there was, yeah when i was a kid yeah so and i so i say this to people all the time that the for 11 year old me the idea that there would be competitive nfl games in the uk was just unthinkable, just completely unimaginable that that would happen. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's astonishing how far we've come. And that's the big change, isn't it? The A game. I mean, the NFL Europe was great, but it, it uh, was limited because it was not as, obviously as appealing and getting to see the best players at games that matter is it, it was the game changer. So yeah, it, it's, um, and long may it continue. Although, uh, it looks like Germany are going to steal all our games and we're going to be back to, <laughs> back to yeah. square one, back to exhibition, preseason exhibition games. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Anyway, now let's let you get out of here before we do though, where can the UK Ravens listeners find you? Where can they follow along with your various projects and podcasts? Uh, well, the Nat Coombs show, you mentioned that at the top is the podcast that we drop three, four episodes a week and, uh, available at all good podcatchers. Uh, a lot of your favorites on there. So Carlson has his regular Monday review slot. Uh, Jay Bellanosi dropped by a fair bit. Ben Isaacs, I mentioned, is brilliant. Uh, a lot of our friends from across the pond as well. So that is available at all good podcatchers. Uh, and yeah, I crop up all kinds of places. The uh, Talk Sports Show, The Times, yeah, yeah, plug, plug, plug. But the pod's, the pod's where you want to go. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, yeah, best of luck to the Dolphins on Thursday night. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, fellas. Good luck on Thursday. Cool. Thanks, Matt. Cheers, Cheers mate. Thanks, Appreciate Thank you. you. Cheers, guys. Good to see you. And there goes Nat, who had a very interesting conversation with and broke down the Dolphins game. So I don't think we need any more input from us. So before we move on to our predictions, James, can we get your matchup of the week, please? Yes. It's uh, it's a tough one this week because I like to do good on good and there's not a lot of good on the Dolphins at the moment. <laughs> um, trying to be as polite as possible. Uh, they drafted a guy a couple of years ago called Christian Wilkins uh, in the first round who's, who's turning into a player, uh, especially as a pass rusher. So the matchup of the week I'm going to use is, uh, is Christian Wilkins against Kevin Zeitler. Now this isn't necessarily great on great. Like I'm not, like Zeitler has not been as good this year as we'd we'd all hoped. And um Christian Wilkins has has some deficiencies in his game. But it's an interesting one to watch. It's a really interesting one to watch in terms of the the makeup and and of the game, of the whole game, because actually what we're probably gonna need to do is throw the throw the ball successfully on this Dolphins defense. And I think that one of the keys to that is going to be making sure that Lamar's pocket is clean, making sure he's able to go use his mechanics and step into his throws. And so I'd like to see Zyla have a good day against Wilkins. So I think that's the, that's my match of the week, but I'm scraping the barrel a little bit this week. This, this podcast is feeling awfully reminiscent of the Dolph, of the 
Dolphins, the Bengals preview, which is making me really unnerved. Okay, so let's get some predictions from you all. As we said in the interview, the last three games, the Ravens have outscored the Mara Dolphins 137 to 16. Last game, most notably, the not bad for a running back game to open 2019. Ben, I will come to you first. What is your score prediction and a player prop, please? Uh, I think that we'll win, um, even though, honestly, you can't take anything for granted this season. The the, the ones that we thought would be relatively safe have been calamitous nightmares, nearly, uh, in some cases. So I do think we'll win. I I think being a short week and heading down to Miami in a, a night game where the Dolphins might have the tails up a little bit after winning last week. Um, they will give us some issues. And I think there are still issues on, on D that they could potentially expose with the um, the offensive threats that Nat's already identified. So I think that the Dolphins will put up 17 points on us, maybe. Um, but I think we'll put up 35. So uh, I'll go with that for the score. And I think for performing, because he's basically from there and he always performs well, he did last time, um, Hollywood Brown's going to have a big game. I'd expect at least 100 yards receiving and at least one touchdown from Hollywood Brown. I need to start making my predictions first because I'm always last and I always have to amend my predictions about four times because you all take all my predictions. Sorry, just have a little moan, James. Uh, so I'm going to have to go with what I told the Dolphins podcast because uh, they asked me for a score prediction as well. So I think they're better than their record. So don't be surprised if this is closer than 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 it than we all think. Uh, but I think we'll, we will pull away, and I, I, I went 27-14 with them. So that's what I'll go with here. And I think that this will be a big Mark Andrews game. So I know that's a bit of a boring player prop, but I think Mark Andrews is going to go off in this game, just looking at the matchups. Uh, and so I think Andrews over 100 yards in this game. Okay. Shane? Uh, well, I agree with the um, the concerns that, that Ben and James have both uh have have both mentioned that uh you never know what to expect with this team and also the dolphins could be better than we're imagining um but i'm still sticking with this idea that things are going to click into place i'm going to i think this this team does put up points because the the ravens offense you can't keep them down for four quarters so i think they're going to score 31 points i'm going to say 31-13 and i'm going to say that justin houston gets that 100th sack I'm I'm torn here. This is a this is very much a, a head and heart. I've got a line drawn down the middle of my page with two separate scores. I really wanted to say thirty eight sixteen and then Tyler Huntley to have a touchdown. <laughs> is what I really wanted to go. It with. doesn't count if you're not fully going with it, guys. So you won't I get credit. I just next week. I just don't. I just don't trust this Ravens. I don't know that we know who this Ravens team are yet. And so I'm actually going to go for oh, a game that we will. I think we'll win. But I think it'll be another one of these games that is unnecessarily nerve-wracking in the fourth quarter. So I'm going to go 27-24 to the Ravens with a defensive stop to end the game with away man being one of the key contributors to finishing the game and securing the Ravens' win. Away man. I do really want to go 38-16. But I'm trying to, I'm trying to speak it into existence, but backwards, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah? No? That's fine. Oh, okay. I've told you, okay. if it's 38-16, you get zero credit unless you put, your, put it on the on the block now. <laughs> no, I'll go 27-24, defensive stop, and my guy, where is it? Oh, wait, oh, wait man. 
Oh, double um, <laughs> to be. A that was like the Lindisfarne remix for Paul Gascoigne with Fog, fog on the Time. The the, <laughs> uh, is everyone getting up for the game, or are you watching it on the delay this week? I've luckily been given Friday off, so I think I'm going to. I'm actually in the midst of a, a quite a tedious battle with man flu. I know I, I'm the I'm a professional, so I fought through it throughout this podcast, but I'm not in a very good place at the moment. Um, I mean, it could just still be a hangover from a very boozy weekend, but I'm I'm calling it the man flu. So we will see. I will maybe try and get up, but if I still feel terrible, it might be a, a Friday morning laid about in Comfy's job. How about you, James? Are you are you staying up for it? Yeah, always. <laughs> I, ass- I assume Shane, you're sleeping through when Ian's got the job of running the Twitter handle for the night. Mm-hmm. As as usual. So yeah, I'll watch it first thing. I'll get up early Friday. I'm on the Shane uh, the Shane bandwagon with that. I'll be up around five thirty six to watch it. Yeah. Straight to work. This time round, I don't want any checking phones. If you think, oh, in the fourth <laughs> quarter, this game's over, I'll, I'll just have a look on my phone. We're not having any of that going on this time around. Before we get out of here, the London meetup is fast approaching. It's our biggest meetup yet. There are some tickets still available, but we are starting to get close to selling out. So if you've been thinking about coming for the last couple of weeks, I really would suggest getting your tickets booked to make sure that you can be there. We will be back next Thursday, the 18th of November, where we are going to review the 38 to 16 ravens win over the dolphins we're going to catch up with any ravens news and we're going to preview the bears game away at soldier field at 1 p.m eastern 6 p.m great meantime if you'd like to be involved with the show please email us at ukravenshow at gmail.com until next week let's go ravens thank you for listening to the uk ravens podcast this podcast is created hosted and produced by members of the uk ravens Join the community on social media at UK Ravens and facebook.com forward slash UK Ravens. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the UK Ravens podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. To be involved with the show, email us at ukravenshow at gmail.com. For more info, links, and to stay up to date, visit www.ukravens.com. Oh yeah.